Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 76 of the MTB podcast presented by Worldwide Cyclery. Myself, Jeff, my excellent co-host, Jared, and our special guest, <laughs> Elliot. Nice. Uh, this episode, we are going to go over all sorts of things, um, the various things Elliot is involved in. He is basically a renaissance man, a humble human being, a professional mountain biker, co-founder of Grow Cycling Foundation, founder of Reggie, and also a Red Bull bike presenter. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's, yep, yep, you're okay. all good. <laughs> so we're going to cover the various things Elliot's involved in. Um, we're also going to talk about, uh, world-class level pro mountain bikers, bike and component choices and what's involved behind the scenes in their sponsorship deals and how that plays into what they quote unquote choose to ride and win on. Uh, we're going to discuss the most impactful things the average weekend warrior mountain bike rider can learn from world cup level professionals. We are going to answer your guys's questions covering all sorts of valuable topics all the way to useless and humorous questions that should be entertaining. And of course, what we are all riding bikes, trails, components, etc. So it's going to be an action packed episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Elliot's laughing at me. What's so funny? <laughs> action packed. I just have a, an image of like explosions happening. Uh, I've never heard someone say that a podcast, introduce a podcast is action packed. This, if there was ever a podcast action packed, this one. I got a um, lot to live up of to. Which, the, speaking of which, the image of the explosion, we are going to put this episode, we're going to start putting these on YouTube, on not on the Worldwide Cycler YouTube channel, but on an MTB podcast YouTube channel. Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty much just raw recordings of the podcast, and we're going to include that action-packed sound effect image that Elliot said. But uh, maybe DJ Pineapple slide in like a sound effect right now. Do we do we have one of those like or like DJ Pineapple does that? Uh, I think if we had one of those, maybe that's something you guys could invest in um, for the next couple. I would listen more if I maybe you guys had that. Oh, I like that idea. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, more let's sound effects. Yeah. No, no problem. We will hop right on that. <laughs> okay. So, thank you for the feedback, Elliot. <laughs> Um, speaking of you, Elliot, let's discuss the various things that you're involved in. So, uh, to start, just so, just for some historical reference, uh, I've known Elliot for, I don't know, over a decade. Uh, we actually grew up in the same town for the most part, Thousand Oaks, California slash Newberry Park. And, uh, yeah, Elliot is involved in a million different things now, uh, Something that's probably very interesting to all the listeners here is that he's a professional mountain biker and been doing that for a long time. Talk about that. How did, where are you now? Where did you, you know, where did you start? Sum it all up. Totally. Um, yeah, so it's all started. Um, yeah, like he said, I think I've, I was racing World Cups for maybe 10 years and it is really interesting. I got into it a little bit later than most people did. I got World my Cup downhill racing. World Cup downhill, not yeah. not XC, not uh, soccer, football, either. Enduro. Yeah, they don't have World Cup. Okay, so, well, yeah. EWS. Yeah. Still says World in the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, downhill racing. Totally. Downhill racing. I uh, I got my first downhill bike when I was eighteen, and before that was kind of just like riding dirt jumps, riding motocross, and and doing that whole thing. But, um, got my, got my first downhill bike when I was 18, went up to Whistler, thought it was like insanely sweet, came back to Southern California, realized that not everywhere is Whistler, but my friend showed me a bunch of videos of the world cups. And I was just really, really wanted to go there, really wanted to ride the tracks and travel around and kind of do that thing. So practiced for 
a while, year or so. And then um, there's this really crazy process to make it over there where you have to get a pro license, get your points. I, you know, mapped out this whole thing, read the rule book and all that stuff and uh, went to Italy with my mom and my brother um, and like a multi-tool because I didn't know that you needed to work <laughs> on bikes. And like it rained one of the one of the days and somebody was like, oh, you should get some spikes. And I was like, so I'm supposed to put like nails in my tire or like like metal spikes? Like, what is that? <laughs> like, I don't even know what that is. Like, so it was, it was actually like my first time out of the country going to race this World Cup in Italy. And uh, what year was that? This was 2010. So um, I went like actually qualified um, at my first World Cup race and ended up kind of getting picked up by Yeti and doing the national team thing for a year. But part of that for me was that if I paid my way to go to the World Cups, like they would give me support and I could pit there. So that was kind of like the start of it. And it was really that's all mountain biking meant to me was racing World Cups. It was all about going over there um, and just having these experiences, racing these tracks and and um, like the mastery of it was always really important to me. Like, how do you get better? What does it look like to practice and train and do all this stuff? So that's that's what I was doing for the last 10 years, Road for Yeti and and Pivot. Um, last, I guess, two years I raced World Cups or last year I was on the on the giant team, giant factor off road team um, and then stopped racing World Cups in 2017. Um, and so from there just was kind of. Uh, I think it was interesting because. I stopped racing because the actual riding portion wasn't as fun as it used to be. And it was kind of like if, you know, there's always ups and downs when you're in sports, but if you're not having fun riding, then it was kind of like, why am I doing this? So I spent some time over that next year and said like, what would it look like if I just did exactly what I want to do? You know, like all this stuff, all these experiences that I've had over the last 10 years, like what were the best ones? And I like went to Trans Cascadia did some stuff there. Like I hate camping, but I camped out and it was like the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. I'm like the least outdoorsy, outdoorsy person ever, I guess. Um, but yeah, like just went a lot of different places, did a lot of different things and really kind of like found my love. <laughs> what I really like to do with mountain biking, like just riding with friends, traveling around, um, like bikes have always been a part of my life. There always will be a part of my life. And it's not just about, you know, racing, bikes and going fast it's just like so much more to it so i think that was kind of what i've been doing last couple of years is a series called crankworks and have a bit of everything pump track and slalom and downhill so i do that and go to sea otter which is in northern california and yeah now we're here today yeah that's awesome it's it's been interesting to see you evolve your racing career from actually racing to now doing all these other various things but still being more or less like quote unquote professional mountain biker, um, mm -hmm. which is cool. And I think you're not alone in that. There's like a number of other people who have kind of gone that route that aren't just like racing exclusively, but yet are still professional mountain bikers. Totally. didn't exist a decade ago, but it definitely does now. Yeah. I, I think it's so amazing that you can actually do what you love and make a living um, out of it, whatever that looks like, right? If you want to uh, be a racer. You can be a racer. If you want to do shred, it's like, you know, Simonuk, he started in, you know, doing crankworks, the freestyle stuff, but now he just does web videos. Um, and you have people like that. You have people like Nate Hills who, um, 
does YouTube stuff. You have people who are doing like product reviews and, and everywhere in between. So I think that it's a lot of the stuff that is around now where you have YouTube, you have Instagram, and it's really allowed people to just figure out what makes them valuable and do that. Um, because at the end of the day, a racer is kind of just a billboard, um, just an advertising tool. So if, if that's the case, then I'm just as valuable, uh, you know, for myself, like going and presenting for Red Bull, um, going and doing a photo shoot for something like I just did a bloody underwear photo shoot <laughs> for which, which company for Saks. Yeah. S-A-X-X. Right? Yeah, the guys totally. who make the underwear with the, the nut pouch yeah they're actually <laughs> they're actually sh- really nice nice everyone should buy them yeah. because they're insane but it was actually slightly off topic um about the underwear shoot it was <laughs> it was super funny because like i never in a million years thought that i would do that and like <laughs> i've been not riding a whole lot and i was like oh i should probably lose some weight because they think i'm an athlete still so <laughs> like, i need to like start training and i like called up my trainer i was like how do these celebrities like lose all this weight like i see them go from fat and skinny like it needs to be me and he was like okay like here's a diet and like come and do some stuff in the gym and i <laughs> went to the gym the first time and like never have thrown up in my life and he was like you all good i was like no i'm I'm not going to make it like, <laughs> like I was like, I need to go home. So I like driving back from Santa Barbara and like ended up throwing up in like a jug on oh, the way no. back. I was like, I got a long way to go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but oh. the shoot was actually like, like that's one of the things, I mean, like it's, it's one of the things that I think makes cycling so amazing is that I can, the reason I'm able to do this underwear shoot is because I rode bikes and, um, <laughs> And it was like kind of a, like a bigger budget quote unquote thing where um, there was like a wardrobe person and and a, a makeup artist and like you know photographers and stuff like that and each in in between each shot like somebody would come and like spray the spray the glycerin and like make me look sweaty Ooh, or whatever. Wow. <laughs> the wardrobe the person, life would, of an underwear model. <laughs> the oh wardrobe gosh. person would come and like pull down the underwear to the perfect spot or whatever. And then at one point she's like, yeah, can you tuck a little bit? And I was like, what do you, what does, does that, that mean? mean? And she's like, yeah, like readjust, like you're in the wrong. And I was like, oh, oh right. Oh, like, <laughs> talk, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can see why that was confusing. She's like, yeah, I don't do that. And I was like, yeah, that's good that you don't do that. That's all good. <laughs> oh but gosh. yeah, totally on the side. But I just think that it's, um, it's cool, right? That you can take this thing that typically you would see in this one light um, when you think about professional athletes, professional racers and things like that and um, do all of these other things that are totally kind of orthogonal to that and still, you know, make a living, provide people value and and just uh, have a good life. Yeah, that's rad. It's definitely cool to see like how the industry has evolved, especially because of social media and all that awareness. And yeah, it's it's it is really cool. Speaking of which, like another thing you've evolved into um, is Grow Cycling Foundation, which we've actually talked about twice, right? The first yeah. two episodes we've talked mm-hmm. about and, and plugged Elliot's Grow Cycling Foundation because yeah. it's it's a new thing and it's pretty interesting. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. Um, Jared has probably memorized the mission statement from the website and, re- and recited it a, a number of times now. But now that the man himself, the co-founder of Grow Cycling Foundation, is here, give us the mission, man. What's it all about? Yeah, totally. I think for me, um, you know, really. So 
Where do I start? Um, so I think one of the things that makes sports amazing is that they're objective, right? Like if I don't win a race, um, I know it's because I was slower than the other person. And once you're at a certain level, once I'm there, right? Like I was fortunate enough to have parents and a family who could get me to the races, right? Um, to take me to Italy um, so that I could have that chance. Um, and I, th- I think that's why we see so many different types of people in sports, why sports are so diverse. But in World Cup Downhill, the throughout the 10 years that I raced, I was actually the only black person to ever start at, at a World Cup. Um, and I was talking to Rob Warner, who's the commentary person in Red Bull. And the previous 10 years, there was only one more. Um, so when you start to think about it and like when I was racing, I didn't really have time to think about any of that. Right. Like doesn't matter if there's what I'm feeling. Right. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter um, if I'm happy or sad at the end of the day. Kind of my job is to win the race. And I had more than everyone in terms of resources to do that with. Um, and so when I got done racing, it kind of freed up a lot of mind share. And, and especially when the George Floyd murder happened, it was kind of a, a chance for me to reconcile all of the stuff that did happen. Right. Like when people would, like I had people be like, Oh, do you think that you're just on giant because you're black? Right. Are they like trying to fill a quota? Um, what, you know, being places and, and having people like, say super racist things or like I remember I was at a world cup in in France and I was at dinner with the Santa Cruz dudes and some guy just sat down and like said a bunch of super gnarly stuff and like wouldn't leave the table and like Luca Luca Shaw and Greg Menard like had to almost like physically remove him from the table um and so that kind of stuff would happen but it's kind of just a part of life right like it doesn't and my experience um with that happening it doesn't make it there's this quote from Lewis Hamilton where he's like, you know, I was always taught to um, kill them with kindness and beat them on the track. And that's kind of how I thought of things where it's like, whatever, I'm just going to be the best racer I can. So when the George Floyd murder happened, it was kind of like, how do I feel about this? Like, I've never ra- made race a platform in my career, um, partly because I think it always feels so negative, right? Like it always is about people struggling. It's always about um, how you know, it's great that I'm the only, you know, I overcame the odds to become, you know, I got a top 10 at a world cup or whatever. And it's great that I'm the the first black person to do that. And I think that to me, like it never really felt that good. Right. Because I see being black as like, I'm, I'm really proud of being black. I'm really, I think it's great. Like there are great black people. There are great people of inventors and musicians and artists Um, which is one of the things I have kind of talked about a lot when people are like, oh, you're not really black. And it's like, well, my relationship to black people is like, these are this amazing group of people. Like, it's kind of like you're saying like, oh, you're not really a cyclist. It's like, well, yeah, I'm a cyclist, you know? Um, so there was kind of a response from the cycling community where like you did have people saying that like, oh, like racism doesn't exist here. And, you know, just from the examples I gave, like, yeah, I'm like experiencing mm-hmm. it. So it's kind of like you're kind of out of touch here. They probably, did, they probably <laughs> said that because there's no one really to like chime in. Totally. I mean, and, it's, and it totally makes I'm not saying that I think it's one of those things where if we just um, the best example I I give is 
that of grief. So like when somebody's loved one passes away, it's not like you ever say like, ah, oh, it's good that that was, you know, a long time ago. You don't, you're not grieving anymore. Like you're not sad anymore or like that, that doesn't matter anymore. Um, because you know, that's not true. And so like when somebody says to you like, oh, you don't feel that anymore. It's like, well, kind of how would you know? Like just because you're not experiencing this thing, like kind of doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So it's more of a, to me, like more of an empathy thing um, to be able to believe someone. Um, And so, you know, I think that it was so going back to kind of that was kind of my uh, the reason that I wanted to do something about it was like. I know I've found my voice and then the actual act of starting it, Katie Holden, who I've known forever, uh, used to race world cup downhill. And now she is a, um, an ambassador for a lot of really cool companies, really tells great stories. And so when she came to me, um, we started it and we were like, what does it look like to kind of put something in place that can do more? Um, that's not just maybe giving a bike cause you give a bike and, you know, people lose interest, get stolen, breaks or whatever. And then you give another bike the next year and now you've affected two people's lives. Um, but for us, it was about saying, cool, like, why don't we do something where, you know, people can ride that same bike, develop mechanicing skills, and then we can give them um, an opportunity to get a job in the industry. So you have this complete path. And um, we're building a pump track in Los Angeles and for us as well, it's kind of about saying like, cool, you can go to this pump track, but then we want to host the world championships there. So you can see people, um, what it means, right? The bicycle is like a vehicle, like physically and metaphorically where it can, you know, it's a vehicle, right? <laughs> it's transportation, yeah. but then it can also be um, like, take you around the world, right? Like it allowed me to race for my country, the world championships. It's why I'm talking to you guys right now. Um, and I think one of the things like that I hear a lot is like, oh, bikes are too expensive. Um, but if that were the only barrier, like we would see a lot of like rich black people, right? Black dentists riding around, <laughs> <laughs> but like we don't see that either. So like um, I think there's just a lot of cultural stuff um, when you start to just like peel back, like even one more layer mm-hmm. where it's, it becomes really apparent where it's um, just giving people the opportunity, right? Like, there were so many things that got lucky, right? That I happened to move to California and happened to meet the right person that introduced me to World Cup Downhill because if that wouldn't happen, none of my friends knew what mountain biking was. Um, and I think that that's kind of the important thing to say is like not, um, why why should someone from that community even come here in the first place when you have people like, you show up to a group ride and like people make fun of your socks or like make fun of a tire that's mm-hmm. like too bald and it's like, why would I want to be there and do that? So, yeah, I think for us, we kind of are thinking about it more holistically, um, more long term. Um, and really, yeah, that that mission of education, access and opportunity, because everyone in the world is capable of doing things. It's just about if you have the chance to do it. Yeah. So it's almost like introducing the culture of cycling in all that it encompasses, right? Racing professionally, working in the industry, in the various disciplines, introducing that to more and more people at a younger age and showing them that that path exists. And this is a really fun tool that could also turn into a really fun career. Totally. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's exactly it where, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's about 
like you said, introducing it. Um, and I think one of the things that we think a lot about is, you know, if you were to have something there, what does it look like to bring that community's culture, like a kid wheeling in the street in Baltimore, just as much of a cyclist as I am starting at the world championships. So when I think of culture, I think of like food and music, you know, we have the pump track, like get the local barbecue down there. Like mm-hmm. we have Red Bull, bring the little, I don't know what that thing is, a station wagon, like get some people playing music. And like, that's cool. Like that's fun. That's like something that people want to be a part of, not like, you know, a bunch of people talking about spandex and I don't know, derailers. <laughs> yeah, yeah makes sense. I mean, the, the, you know, cycling culture in general has had kind of a bad reputation for not really being welcoming, right? And that's like something I've noticed being in, on the retail side, working in bike shops and then owning a bike shop, is that that's like a very prevalent thing. Like mm-hmm. people are like, yeah, this, this industry is totally. not welcoming. Like I go into bike shops and people, they're, they're snobs. They, they're like, oh, like if you don't know what this is, then like I'm not, I don't want to talk to you. You can totally. talk to this new kid who's working here. He can help you with your flat tire. Like I don't know. It's, it's just there's a bad mentality. And, and you, we talked about this the other episode that uh, consumer direct bike brands, right? Like bike brands that are selling without shops and selling directly to customers. And like that YouTube video we did and people were surprised on sort of my take on it the comments were crazy and so many of them were like paragraphs long and a lot of them were about the snobbery of bike shops right you know and how people felt when they were getting into the sport right. and and the sort of how they were looked down upon um and yeah i mean that's like that's really bad like that's let alone like getting into it as a as a black person from like it culturally wasn't normal or like your other friends didn't do it like yeah i can't even imagine like that's yeah yeah, I totally I think you're you're so right. Like a lot of the a lot of the stuff I'm talking about and we're talking about, it doesn't matter like what sexual orientation you are or what race like it happens to all. Of it. Like we all have that experience yeah. of walking into a bike shop, no matter if you're a professional athlete, an owner of a successful company, like just a person that rides on the weekends. Like when you walk into a bike shop, um, not always like not digging on all the bike shops, but like a lot of the time, like it's like look at you like you don't even belong there. Um, yeah, yeah, true. And and kind of the same thing. Like, I think if we all even thought about, like, when we go out and ride with our friends, um, how likely is it that if somebody just rocked up that you would be like, hey, dude, like, you want to ride with us? Like, <laughs> or like if we were to go and do that to somebody else's groups, like, it's kind of like, oh, like, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, don't yeah, do that. Totally. Um, so I think that that we were, I think we were, that's one of the things that I talk about a lot when people are like, what can I do um, beside donate? And that is what is important. Right. And I think that people feeling empowered where the culture of cycling is all the people listening to this podcast, like that's what makes culture and having more empathy to say like, yeah, come and ride here, you know, mm-hmm. come and check out this part. Like I work in a, a store or whatever, like that goes I would much rather people do that and be more welcoming, be more inclusive to people of all races, all genders, all everything, all like incomes than like donate some money to the foundation. Because if that happens, that will make our job much easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I think to me, it's it's always been welcoming. Like to, that's that's sort of what I've always thought. Like the the store I worked in as a kid like the owner was so welcoming. He Mm -hmm. was just kind and nice and smiled and charismatic as hell to like, it did not matter who it was that walked into the door. Like he was just a nice guy. 
totally. you know, and wanted to see people get on bikes and have fun. And, and to me, that was super inspiring. And I wanted to have that same mentality and like a big online retail presence, which is like hopefully what we've built Worldwide Cyclery into today. Um, and we definitely hear that feedback. But yeah, just like in general, like, yeah, cycling could be more welcoming, not just in the retail stores, but even out on the trailhead. Totally. Like if you see someone riding by themselves, be like, hey, man you want to come ride this loop with us yeah you know yeah i think that's huge that's to me like also why i've always been a big proponent of nika so nika national interscholastic cycling association making uh mountain biking the sport of it an accredited sport in middle school and high school which it's a non-profit um i'm super impressed with them i'm guessing you're probably probably really familiar with them yeah and also think it's cool what they're doing yeah totally yeah. yeah yeah i think that um like you said like having that opportunity uh, in school to be introduced to it. And I think that it does allow schools is one of those kind of equalizers as well, where most people do have the opportunity to go to school. So Mm -hmm. being able to do, um, one of the things that we've talked about a lot is like, what does it look like to do a little bit of, I don't know the right word, cross promotion where you'd have different sports teams, right? Like what does it look like for the basketball team to go and do some cycling and, um, and things like that. But I think like you were saying, making it an actual accredited sport and it's right it's nice that we do have it the cross-country side of things in the olympics because it gives it some more visibility and some more funding uh for schools and that path from you know middle school high school college um that whole thing so yeah, yeah. for sure yeah yeah it's impressive what nike is doing and they like we sponsored a nike race i think it was a few years ago now a local one and it was the funnest thing ever you know like seeing the turnout and how organized it was and all the kids riding bikes and it was i was just utterly impressed because all of us like when we were in school we didn't have that right you know but we all now live in the bike industry and have happy careers we enjoy and fulfill us so it was just so cool to see that um and nika now is doing it's called like nika adventure so it's not just racing because not everyone has to be a racer and like has the whole competitive vibe i mean most people aren't racers most Mm -hmm. people just like to go ride bikes for fun and show up and just enjoy themselves and bike pack out and camp or just go out and do an hour-long loop for the funnest way to have exercise or what I like to say the second funnest way to have exercise. I'll leave the first way to your imagination. Um, Mountain biking is just really fun. It's a great way to have exercise. uh, Yeah. I I love it, man. I'm, I'm definitely impressed and enjoy how much more philanthropic stuff has been just coming about in the bike industry. And I've said that on the last three podcasts and I'll probably continue to be a broken record on that because I just like it. I think it's cool. Um, And I did hint at uh, a couple episodes ago, what we might, do for black friday cyber monday as a retailer we typically do the generic old big sale um but this year the pandemic obviously has made cycling super popular everyone the entire industry all the retailers all the brands like everyone has very very to put it nicely subpar inventory levels (laughs) um jared you've probably seen this a lot talking to customers all day every day talking about broken record i feel like the word out of stock is going to be ingrained in my mind for the rest (laughs) of my life i'm pretty pretty sick of it so that's that's like the story of the cycling industry in 2020 which is great because like we saw a lot more people do the sport more frequently and we saw a lot of new people get into it, which was fascinating and fun to watch, but has also given us a situation where everything is, like you said, out, out of stock. Out of stock. So we we are going to do um, a very unusual Black Friday this year, um, Friday to Monday. We're going to add $5 to every single product on the site. Um, that $5 is going to go to NICA. 
Um, gift cards will still be the same price. And if you buy a gift card, you obviously get the whole value, but we cover $5 to Nika because to me, I don't want to discount a bunch of products and have 60% of the catalog be out of stock. I just feel like that's almost rude. Yeah. You know? Um, so I'm like, well, why don't we just flip black Friday on its head because we have bad inventory levels. Um, you know, gift cards are going to be, they never expire. Um, it's federally illegal for them to expire (laughs) by the way. So, um, but so you can buy gift cards. Uh, if you buy a gift card, you get the whole value. We chip in $5 tonight, each one that sells. And then every single product is an additional $5. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, and I, I also formally challenge any other retailer in the bike industry. <laughs> I dare you to not do the, the BS traditional Black Friday sale and actually do something philanthropic. Um, there you go. So, Elliot, you should start pushing all the brands that you're sponsored by to, to do something of, of that nature. Um, yeah, to, to support. So, I don't know. To me, that's I just like seeing more philanthropic stuff come in and, you know, like to support it. And to me, it was like, wow, this if there was ever such a year to, you know, mess mm-hmm. around with Black Friday, Cyber Monday, this is this is the year to do it. So, yeah, totally. so we'll see how it goes. That's, so, it that's 2020, super sure. cool. Yeah, like speaking of um, like the brands that we're um, kind of supported by at the foundation, that has been really cool. Cause you know, I mentioned the career aspect. So we have these like founding partners of Fox, Yeti, Santa Cruz and pink bike um, and Red Bull, and kind of a couple other ones. Um, and they, we've actually raised like a hundred thousand dollars and then have another half a million dollars committed over the next little course of time. And uh, it's been so cool to see, all of these companies, like these people who like Yeti and Fox, like actually reposting each other's stuff. Um, and in the same video call and stuff like that, uh, where they're like actually direct competitors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, speaking of the philanthropic stuff, I think that it's, it's cool, especially this year, um, where bloody 2020, um, and to see people coming together in different ways. So that's yeah. awesome. Awesome to see. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy year. So nice to see that pulling together. Okay, well, moving on. Um, that was awesome. Thank you for going in depth on that one. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, so, but we're not running out of time and want to get the rest of the show going. So the other couple things to mention that you do, Reggie, and then also Red Bull Bike Presenter. So I was I was challenging you on this prior to starting to record, but what is clearly concisely Reggie? I will uh, do this by asking a question. So, w- both of you, like, tell me where the mountain biking group rides are, where the clinics are, and where the races are um, in your area in the next week or two. No idea. Yeah, that's that's a complete disaster to try to like figure that out that is what reggie is nice (laughs) Nice. there you go solution yeah um so i don't even remember like when i was racing more how i even learned about a lot of those races other than just like it's it's so word of mouth and Mm -hmm. like googling and i mean you say cycling kind of would help because like Like you could social media maybe right right it's very much cult cult knowledge and i think it says a lot like where you have at this table we have like an avid mountain biker, you know, the owner of a huge mountain biking online, online store, um, really tapped into the community and a professional mountain biker. And none of us can answer that question. So I think it, and it's something that we all take for granted. I think 
especially once we get into a community, it's kind of like, oh yeah, hit up so-and-so, you know, here's a, we have a group text or like a Facebook group or Instagram or whatever. So definitely working on it. It'll be a little bit, um, but yeah, something to look forward to. Yeah. And like the estimated launch of this is. Um, It's just me uh, programming and stuff. I actually hired someone recently. So we're just kind of cruising through. There's no real rush for it, but hoping early next year. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Nice. I'm excited for that. Um, and the next thing, Red Bull Bike Presenter. So for a while there, you were traveling around and, and presenting races and commentating, and which you have a huge advantage because you're still a racer. You're friends with basically everyone on the field. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and know what's going on. And I remember talking to you about it when you got into it. And like the big thing you were all about was like trying to more articulately explain what these professionals are doing on the bike. Cause it is hard to understand. Like when you watch that, if you're not there, I mean, the camera never, never does it justice. Like the steepness of the train, the sharpness of the rocks, like all of that. So yeah, I remember when you were getting into that and, and it was going awesome until 2020 kind of yeah, changed the race uh, season a little bit. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Exactly what you said. Like, I think, the three things that I really wanted to highlight in that process. So the, the thing was, is I would go to the world cups and I would walk the track and we would film a video of me walking the track during practice. I would talk about it. Um, and then after the races, I would do some interviews maybe before. So the big thing I always thought was like, when you're watching a race, like you have no context, you don't, you're just watching some person fly down the hill. Um, so the context I tried to give while I was walking the track is like, Here's what you should be watching for. Here's the decisions people are making. Um, When you see a rider come up to a section, you say, like, are they going to go high here? Um, And if they go high, what was the trade-off they made? Why did they make that decision? Um, So it's really about giving some context for, like, when you're watching the live feed. And then, um, like you were saying, I had this huge advantage where I could ask these terrible questions in interviews. And I would just walk up to somebody and say, like, how was it? And normally that would be like the worst question ever. Cause mm. if somebody asked me that, I'd be like, it's, it's good. Yeah. They just raced. <laughs> like you saw me. <laughs> and so, but, um, yeah, it was more like, it was a friend thing where, um, people would be like, yeah, I did this and had, you know, this big moment. Um, and so the other thing, and it kind of dovetails maybe into something we'll talk about, which is, um, I really wanted to show like a little bit more vulnerability for the riders to say like, are you scared? Like what's going through your head right now? Like, you know, last year there's a bunch of drama. It's like, are you nervous? Like you literally have to win this race to win the overall. Um, and what are you thinking about it? Or you just had this huge crash, like what's going through your head? Um, because I think that there's, especially in a sport like mountain biking or downhill mountain biking from the outside, it looks like people just take this insane risk. Uh, but that's like, couldn't be farther from the truth. So I really wanted to kind of highlight that, that portion of it. Um, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, you were just getting your bearings and then 2020. So the race season's a bit weird, but looking forward to next year, hopefully <laughs> yeah, things hopefully. are normal or maybe 2022. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you can get back out there and, <laughs> and commentate more. Cause yeah, that was cool. And I like how Red Bull is, well, well, they were attempting to like, ex- like, show racing to everyone in the world and do a really good job with the live yeah. streams. And then it wasn't available in like a dozen countries. And well, that's a, it's a, it's a bummer because, um, so different people own the rights for different, um, series. So Red Bull doesn't own the rights for world championships and NBC does. 
So that's why that whole thing happens. Like, and I wouldn't. So it's actually crazy because like Rob and Claudio, the world cup presenters, commentators don't actually go there um, on site. They don't have anyone on site. It's a different, totally different production thing. And it's just unfortunate because um, the, the way that in the U S that it gets uh, shown is like on that Olympic channel or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That Um, is what it is. Totally. So yeah, totally not Red Bull's fault. I'll I'll yeah. give them that one. <laughs> yeah, just like weird. It's yeah, it's just a bummer. Licensing rights and totally. stuff like that. So. Yeah. Oh, that might get worked out. That stuff changes UC, all the time. UCI. Yep. Well, yeah. So so speaking of UCI, um, yeah, we we don't need to dive into that. Uh, but if you do want to get into UCI and way more like race specific stuff, probably downtime podcast, right? Yeah, like yeah. Downtime, like there's so much cool stuff on there where. Yeah. From like bike designers to World Cup racers, Nico Malali, who's another World Cup racer, and I do a post-race podcast after each race. And it's really cool because Nico kind of goes into like, you know, here's how my day went. Here's the bike setup changes I did. Like it rained on this day. There was this gnarly line here. Um, So like a really in-depth kind of behind the scenes look at what goes on. But yeah, Chris is awesome over there. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we took over, uh, MTV podcast, um, when Jonathan and Steven, uh, decided they were too busy with their other lives to, to continue it. Uh, well they did. I mean, they semi decided that. And then I was like, Hey man, can we please just take this over? You've, you've really done a good job, but you're not posting very often and people are asking. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then, you know, we kind of made the call to like, you know what, we're not going to really discuss racing much because, you know, when Jonathan and Steven started it, like downtime wasn't as big as it is now. And like, there's a lot of good mountain bike podcasts now. And I think downtime is awesome. And in terms of like in depth, like if you're an aspiring racer, that's an incredible podcast. Yeah, totally. Um, and I thought, you know what, we're, we definitely serve the, you know, average common weekend warrior mountain biker so much more and can bring value to that. So like, we're just going to maybe barely gloss over and not really talk about racing and continue just doing what we do best and leave that to the professionals like Chris at downtime. Right. Totally. Um, so yeah, speaking of pro mountain bikers, uh, something we want to talk about is world-class level pros, um, their biking component choices. And I think, I think there's some misconception there, like weekend warrior mountain bikers, average mountain bikers can sort of get, I think they might take it with too much weight when they hear like, Oh, like world championship winning XYZ component or bike, um, and you, Elliot, like are friends with all those guys, you you racing yourself, um, you kind of know, like there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff and it's very different, right? Like if you're a top 50 world cup rider and you're sort of like a privateer, what you're riding, I mean, how much do you care? Or it's just like, who's going to pay you any money? Cause it's like not a glamorous sport full of money versus like, if you're a top five rider, are you then pushing for certain brands? I mean, there's there's just a lot to it behind the scenes that I think people should take it with a grain of salt, like what the pros are using and maybe specifically what they're saying. But what's what's your thought on that? Yeah, totally. I mean, like very bluntly, you're you're never going to say what you're writing is not good. Um, yeah. Like you're contractually obligated <laughs> to say that. Actually, yeah. Actually, I mean, and yeah, so maybe you can, like, <laughs> I think there is for sure. Like over the years I've, um, you know, written some stuff that I'm more stoked on than others. And like, sometimes I'll be like, yeah, it was, it was good. You can't name names, <laughs> <laughs> but like, this gentleman cannot name names. Cannot name names. <laughs> but like other times I'm like, dude, that is the best thing ever. And like, if you took it like good is maybe a, a two and like insane best thing I've written is like a nine. 
So like maybe there's like some little subtlety there, but yeah, you're totally right. So like, I think the, um, the thing to think about, like on the racing side of things is like when you're really low privateer, you get to pick every part you want, right? And like, whatever that means to you, pick Fox and then SRAM shifting and Shimano breaks, like doesn't really matter. You kind of get to do some stuff. And that's one of the nice things about being a privateer is that you can run the best stuff. Um, Cause you're for the most part paying for it or totally. you're just getting it for free. Maybe yeah, if you're lucky, totally. Like I think you're not it, getting paid to use it. Totally. Yeah. I think at the lower end of the world cups, like if you are qualifying for world cups, so qualifying for a world cup is top 60, then you're getting free stuff. Um, yeah. Qualifying for a world cup is no joke, especially now. Um, maybe the, like the pro at your local national level race, like um, outside the top five ten or whatever, probably buying a lot of stuff, maybe getting some discounts from local bike shop. Um, and then as you move up, so you have like kind of a more satellite team, which would mean like a, a Trek, but not Trek factory. It's like Trek sponsored team. Um, and that's typically you will have like a, maybe a little bit less good parts on mm-hmm. um, where you have to run it because I need, like you said, I need to be paid. I need somebody to pay my travel. Um and then once you get up into like the top 10, especially top five, every one of those people before they ride for a team will like test out the bike because everyone's getting other offers, right? Like somebody specialized is going to offer you something, Trek's going to offer you something and like whatever, Santa Cruz. And so each of those riders like Troy would go and say, let me ride a Canyon bike and make sure this thing actually works. And then, um, you know, everyone's going to pay me a lot of money to do that but you do get to pick and choose like um and i i think one of the things that's really interesting here like is kind of what aaron started where there was a shift away from like uh just these brands like aaron gwynn for those who don't yeah, know he's totally like one of the best downhill mountain bike racers of all time ever, of yep. all time ever, um so. and so he he kind of was like the first person to say like i'm willing to you would say maybe develop, but I would also put in like get paid a lot more money from brands that aren't as uh, prestigious, prestigious. Yep. Um, like a TRP or Anza tires or something like that. And um, and so that was really different. And like, I know that that's also something for a rider, right? Like if I've grown up riding Fox um, to go on to brand random, um could be something but yeah i think to like when you're thinking about listening or looking at advertising and and things like that it's more about it's more about you it's like what do you like like you can choose any part that you want and like any part is good enough like sram is good enough fox is good enough shimano like they're all can win races and like and the nice thing about mountain biking is like everyone's pretty much running stock stuff so when you buy something off the shelf, like that can win a world cup. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I've always preached to people is like so much of its personal preference. There's like an endless array of good product yeah. and even like remotely reputable brands are making very competitive, great stuff. Right totally. Now. So yeah. Like, I mean like, don't overthink it too hard. Right. Like if you looked in, if I buy breaks or something that are like lower in breaks, they're better than high end breaks that won a world cup five years ago. So yeah, you're running good stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm curious, Jared, you, you never got like 
as deep in the racing scene as as myself and especially not as Elliot. Right. What did like as you as like a, a, as growing up, right, rode moto and, mm-hmm. and then got into mountain biking, like what did you think when you sort of saw and heard the like, oh, these pedals are world championship worthy <laughs> rainbow stripe pedals? Like I mean did that sway yeah. your choice or what do you think? Totally. hundred percent. I mean, when you see like somebody who's winning races and they're running that stuff, like you're like, Oh, well, yeah, I should probably have that stuff. Cause it'll make me a better rider. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. That guy's got Fox factory. Like he's got Kashima. Like I'll win <laughs> right. if I have, Kashima. Like, I'm yeah. going to beat my Strava time last time. If I have Kashima. Like, yeah. yes. And but, I, yeah. I was, we were talking about that earlier. Like, I think like for my hobbies, I'm the same way. Right. Yeah. Like I was saying that in RC cars, like I would watch the dude, the RC car track, like local local fast guy i'd be like what is he running like yeah. let me go to the bloody <laughs> pro yeah. shop and totally. get those tires because they're gonna make me win <laughs> totally 100 percent. yeah that's pretty much it like if you see the best guys riding that stuff like you want to be riding that stuff too like yeah and that i'd pretty much say that's pretty universal yeah yeah that's cool i mean i think brand's perception on it has like evolved right because before it was it was just the competitors and then it became the competitors. Well, now it's the competitors plus the content creators. But like, no matter what, it's the people who are good, mm-hmm. right? Like, you have to be talented. You have to have you have to have some notoriety, some credibility to like be on this thing and like be good at using it um, for people to be like, oh yeah, man, like I want that one. Totally, I want that brand. I want that product. Whatever. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. I mean, that that plays into what I want to talk about next, which is the most impactful things the average weekend warrior mountain biker can learn from world cup level professionals, which I think we've kind of touched on that a little bit, but, um, you know, bike choice is definitely one of them. And I know you're a proponent of like not overthinking it and probably, and I'm like, I know racers not as well as you do, but a lot of them, and and they certainly do not care about their components and their setup as much as probably most average mountain bikers do. Some do. Right. So like, I wanted to ask you, if you were to like look at the top 80 World Cup downhill racers, what percentage do you think are maniacal OCD about like the angle of their brake lever, the millimeter width of the bars, their tire pressure down to the single PSI versus like, and then there's probably like another batch of people who are like kind of care. They want it kind of good, but they're just going to go out and pin it. And then like, there's a percentage of riders that are like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Like <laughs> totally. just like the mechanic built it and I just went as fast as I could on it. Yeah. So like, what do you think? What's like the percent, what's the pie chart of the best mountain bikers in the world and what they, how they like look at this stuff? Yeah, for sure. I think in recent years, um, in the top 30, it's everyone because you, you have to, um, so you're saying the top 30 of world cup downhill racers are like maniacal. OCD. I wouldn't say maniacal, right? Like, like some people you'll be, doing like spoke tension stuff um and some people there's there's these two different camps and neither one of them's right it's just personal preference where you're saying do i want to set up the bike to perform the best on this specific terrain um so there's a two inch bump do i want to set my bike up to handle that two inch bump or do i want to set my bike up once and know my bike to a t and know exactly how it's going to handle that two inch bump um and so I think the riders who are like, I'm just going to get a setup and ride it are, you know, riders like Bernard Kerr. Um, and he just wants to know his bike like super well. But like even him, he's like, I don't know if he's still doing it, but like you'd have a tire cut. You'd have like you're checking your pressures. You know exactly how many clicks you're running or what pressure you're running in your fork. Um, you know, riders so like quickly, though, tire cut. That's not an average mountain biker doesn't know what that is. So quickly explain <laughs> that. 
<laughs> so like I think it's it's falling out of fashion a little bit. It started um, because tires companies um, kind of only I was talking about spikes weren't listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so people had that. to cut them yeah. physically cut the knobs. Totally. Yeah, so like it started because you would have a spike tire which has really long knobs, and so um, it was good for wet conditions, but the knobs were actually too long. So you'd do a cut spike and that was kind of a thing. Um, and then, uh, it became like a thing to like <laughs> cut a minion DHR, like Bryceland started it. And, uh, he would cut a little piece of the side knob off. Yeah. Like the L side knob. Totally. Which is the same on the Minion DHF. Right. I right. did that in like 2009 when I was racing. Right. Like, literally like, it's like, oh, here's a DHF. It works amazing, but it's a little too muddy for a DHF, but it's not muddy enough for spikes. So I'm like going to legitimately cut the L knobs off of the tire. Right. So it clears mud better. T- totally. And yeah. so it's like that, that kind of goes into the realm of like what I was saying about, um, that it's mental, right? Like, and saying somebody doesn't need to cut their tire, like what the benefit of that is physically is whatever, what the benefit of that is mentally is definitely a lot more. Yeah. Um, and at that level, when you get to that level in any thing that you're doing, any sport, business, school, whatever, it's more about the mental side of it. Um, and it's more about knowing what's going to make you perform. So yeah, I think now riders are concentrating on the bike a lot more because the sport is maturing a lot more everyone's training really hard so if i can get an extra five or ten percent out of my bike um then i have to do that um but i think the interesting thing that you would find is like as soon as you take somebody out of that race context take them and like put them in whistler like was riding with troy a couple of years ago troy brosnan sorry okay. <laughs> And, um, and like we were riding a line and I would see him like day after day. And like, I think one of the days, um, his like tire was like wobbly and like touching his frame <laughs> because he had like yeah. been doing whips. He'd been riding for like two, so, like, two for weeks. For context, this is one of the best mountain bikers in the world. Um, worked with Maxis to design the dissector, the tire, which probably everyone knows about super good tire. Um, Junior world champion. Did he win? World He's, he moment? has the best actually over or like average finish. Um, I think it's like a two or three, like way better than anyone else who's ever raced a mountain bike. Like his average finish at the world cups, like yeah. always on like the podium. Unusually consistent. Yeah. Like incredibly talented. Just rider. like one of yeah. the, yeah. One of the greatest downhill mountain bikers of all time. Um, yeah. and I think that that it's something you find where it's like, you can ride anything. Yeah, right, so like you're a whistler with him, and his tire's literally so blown out, it's like hitting his frame. Yeah, like, he's just the, like riding. the rim, right? Like, the rim yeah, is bent. So <laughs> like, yeah. And, like, I used to do that all the time, like, right? Like, it's, it's like, yeah, it could stop riding. Like, a couple of spokes are loose, but they'll probably last for a couple more runs. Yeah. And, like, you know, luckily, I didn't have to worry about buying a new thing, a new rim or whatever. Yep. But um, I just think it's the biggest thing that people can do is just ride. Right. Yeah. The thing that makes these people so good is that they've ridden bikes way more than the average person. Um, I've like for jumps and things like that, like I've ridden thousands and thousands of jumps. And the reason that it's um, that you get those skills, you know exactly what the bike's going to do. And so the thing that you're concentrating on is like, oh, my is not like my rebounds too fast or my tire pressure is too low. It's like, you know what does the bike do in this situation? Like, what does it feel like to go over these routes or off this jump? Um, 
and I, the advice that I always give is just like, have fun, yeah. like just yep. have a good time and you'll enjoy riding bikes, which means you'll enjoy, which, which means you'll ride more, which means you'll get better. And then like, it's just all good. Brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Good yeah. flywheel yeah, going there. It's cool. I like it. I mean, it's like the most impactful things average rider can take from that, right? It's just like ride more, have fun. And you like not worry about it so much. Yeah, like don't not stress. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's this like one technique thing that I think about um, that was really big for me is like waiting the outside foot. And then like when you lean the bike, you could think of like a lot of weight going on your outside foot and and your um, inside hand. So you're like actually pushing. If you're going around a left hand turn, your right foot's down and your left hand's kind of like pushing forward and down. Um, and I think that's really different than a lot of people thinking about people on the YouTube video will see. But taking the outside hand over like it's like this rather than this i don't know how you explain that over audio yeah yeah it's hard to say but i mean if you were to sum that up you you would pretty much say like uh bike technique coaching worrying about your form like that's impactful yeah like yeah it's like time and a place right like sometimes you do stuff for entertainment and sometimes you do stuff like deliberate practice and like i would say personally like there are a couple things like never a bad idea to get some coaching or think about some technique but like you can ride a bike in a million different ways and like don't stress too much about some perfect technique or whatever just ride and whatever you're comfortable with is probably good yeah totally yeah i i personally like to go for like what i call flow rides myself that's just like the name i made up but (laughs) that's basically when i go by myself i'm not riding with anyone else and and i don't really I do this every now and then. I definitely do it every time. If I've been off a bike for a while, right? Like if I had an injury or, you know, whatever, it got too, it worked for, I worked my face off for too long and I didn't ride bikes for four weeks. Then I'll go for a ride by myself. And all I will do is I won't ride at a fast pace. I'll ride at like 60, 70%. And I'll just constantly think about like, is my pedal stroke good on the yeah, climb? Yeah, totally. You know, I'm like, am I too, is my whole upper body too tense on a climb? You know, like, so I think about my form, my technique. And then on the downhill, I think about the same stuff, right? Like, is my are my braking points good? Am I touching my brakes in my corners? Or yeah. am, I, am I not? Mm-hmm. Like, am I waiting properly? Like I, and you can work on your technique by just riding far less than your skill level mm-hmm. and just being a little bit more conscious of like, is my form proper? Am I following like the right proper guidelines? Totally. Like waiting your outside foot, mm-hmm. not breaking in corners, yeah. you know, just like doing the right thing. So that's, that's helped me a ton. Yeah, but for sure. Jared. Totally. Waiting the outside foot. I'm taking, yeah. notes. I'm taking <laughs> notes right now. No. Yeah, totally. Like pretty much exactly what you said. Like, and honestly, that kind of thing is like totally changed how I've been riding to just like, thinking about your technique a little bit more and not like just thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to go as fast as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Like beat my last strap of time or <laughs> right. whatever it is. Yeah. Like, Cause like if, you, if you're, you're just reinforcing bad habits at that point, yeah, right? Exactly. Like if you have some bad habits in terms of technique and form and you're just going out trying to crush your strava times, like exactly. You're just going to reinforce and really get sketchy on. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. It's like forget about the strava, just have fun and think about your technique and your form and then you'll have more fun and you're going to be a better rider. <laughs> yeah yeah cool totally. i love it man totally um well yeah hopefully that was valuable 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 i had too much whiskey for you <laughs> listeners out there valuable uh, <laughs> uh, so i need to talk less jared uh 
you've you've queued up some yes. questions uh, from our audience, from our listeners, our Instagram and YouTube followers. Um, Correct. Uh, for Elliot and just things in general, fire them off, man. Sweet. Here we go. So this question comes to us from Raymond Sucks. This <laughs> <laughs> he asks, when can we see another race run in slippers? But for real, is there anything you think <laughs> more people can do on a daily basis to make our sport more inclusive? What are some things riders can do to help grow cycling foundation, even if they cannot make donations because of financial hardships? Totally. Yeah, we, we touched on this a little bit, like, mm-hmm. but to, to sum it up, I think it's just um, like really basic. It's just like being nice. Um, yeah. being Make the sport more welcoming. Totally. Yeah, totally. Be nice to people. Yeah, yeah. Just like, and it and it's all people, right? Like it's just um, welcoming people in, um, remembering that we all were beginners once. We all were goons. We all had knee pads that were off-centered. We're and, all kooks and goons. <laughs> so, right. yeah. so it's just like, 100%. like think back maybe to last week and like remember that uh, you might not have been as good as you are now. And, uh, and just, yeah, make sure that you are, are keeping that in mind and welcoming people in and making cycling a better place. Nice. Yeah. Great. That. Perfect. That was great. Except you dodged the slipper question. Ah, totally. So, <laughs> <laughs> so some context, Elliot is, is like notorious would probably be the word for wearing slippers, like DVS <laughs> slipper. Like these are like casual, like you're like, you're walking out of your shower slippers and he wears them while riding mountain bikes and like we posted a video on Instagram of him going over the handlebars after a seat bounce, wearing slippers at Sea Otter. Anyways, we yeah, what I never even asked you. Like I just thought it was like a funny thing you did, but you wore those for like you still. Well, I was I, surprised you didn't have them on when you walked in here. You're totally sandals. Yeah, I know. I went through this phase like um, where I would just like it was like DVS slippers, but also like CVS and Rite Aid slippers, where they have <laughs> oh. this like aisle where they just you you should. Everyone should go there. Yeah, really? yeah I've and, done that. And um, you can go and, you know, just pick them out of a bin and they're like five bucks. And I would just buy those and wear them with everything I did. Like nice restaurant, wear the slippers. People, <laughs> people think they're expensive. You can wear them nice. like walking the track, like out to whatever around the house. Um, and I was at Sea Otter, like I was having fun and went to seat bounce to jump and <laughs> my friend had rode my bike and put the seat down and it hit the tire and I crashed. And now like a whole generation thinks that you can't seat bounce a mountain bike, which is <laughs> sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it went over the bars and, uh, pink bike. I was talking to Carl, who's one of the owners of pink bike. And he was like, as soon as I saw that video, I told them to slow it down as slow as it would go and post it on the homepage. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Full credit to pink bike for filming that. And, um, thank yeah, you. That pink bike. Nice. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> so yeah. bottom line, there is a performance benefit to the slippers on a bike. E- <laughs> I would say that they let you feel the pedal. You really nice. need pedal feel and they give you that. All right. Yeah. That's the, okay. That's what I was looking for. Perfect. (laughs) Nice. Awesome. Sweet. Next question, shall we? Uh, This one comes to us from R-B-R-C-H-K-N. Was it a penny or a nickel that you saw on the ground that made made you take a dive on that jump? It was funny because I I actually wasn't racing that year. I was like taking a year off and I wasn't, I, I remember I got down to the finish and I was like, it was like, I just had the biggest crash I've had in like years. And yeah, um, like it, it got a little bit bigger than it should have been because it was like oh, it's bloody uh, over the bars, professional mountain biker, like of of serious notoriety. And not only that, but like you're 
known for being so skilled at jumps and whips and scrubs and like you're incredible at that like legitimately incredible at it like better than the rest of the field you know and and then all of a sudden like here he is on, okay, on like a five foot yeah. tabletop at sea otter downhill which is like the, uh. the most joke of a downhill race and and just full-blown front flips over himself so that's why that's why it was like ended up being such. A, if anyone else did it, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, dude, like yeah, I went over the bars a hundred times. Like everyone goes over the bars." But like when you're when you're you and you do it, like it's, it was just more of a big deal. Just so it was bloody reliving my yeah. glory so days. Was, yeah. Really so when we were like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have Elliot on the really podcast," dredge so, this up. I, I, I immediately was. I was like, I was like, hey, let's get that video of Elliot when he front flipped. The bloody wayback machine yeah. archive.org. Oh, yeah. like, no, I'm just kidding. Never gonna live this one down. <laughs> so no, I'm down no. with it. It was incredible, incredible crash. I really feel like I looked good doing it. Survived. <laughs> I mean, that was insane. Um, sweet. All right. Next question comes to us from Eddie Raya, seventy three sixty nine. He says, "I see mountain biking going more and more in the direction of e type equipment and bikes, and eventually think all bikes will have some sort of assist type technology. Is this a good or bad trend?" Um, I mean, I think it's. I I kind of understand both sides. Like it's. it's creates like a very visceral reaction uh, with people. I've never been like that person who's like, you gotta ride up so you can earn your turns. And like, I actually hate doing that anyway. Um, So, I I mean, I think it's great that like now the person, one of my friends has a heart condition and um, he used to actually be a XC racer. And the only way he can ride is on an e-bike and he gets out and he coaches the, the um, high school team. And so you have people like that who, you know, wouldn't be able to ride otherwise. Um, and I think that that's amazing. And, and so, yeah, I do see the point of, you know, people going on illegal trails and creating more traffic and things like that. Um, but you know, if, you know, what would happen if people got really fit all of a sudden more controversial than it should be. Yeah. It's, just a f- e-bike. It's yeah, totally. Ride. And I mean, it, like it makes it more accessible for people with a heart condition or people that don't have the chance to ride a ton. Like, right. Exactly. Why is it this huge controversy? Yeah. Topic I think that people are all pissed off about. I think it's, I think it's like also like a thing where it's like, um, like you, you're saying like you have to be this fit or whatever to ride this trail. Like it, this trail is not accessible to like non-fit people, which, you well, know, biking is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> like I think everyone listening knows that like, it it's just a hard sport. I yeah. mean, whether whether you've been doing it for a decade or or like you just got into it, like it is aerobically very very challenging. Um, at least if you're riding actual mountains. Um, but either way, like it's it's just a hard sport. So so yeah, e bikes have, have changed the landscape a ton, made it more accessible to people who aren't in super stud shape, and and like it it gets more fun when you're in better shape because you can yeah, ride longer totally. and you can ride faster and you can just feel better mentally, physically the entire time. Um, and not everyone has the ability to do that or yeah. the time or, you know, physical condition, whatever. So yeah. it's, e-bikes are a cool little thing there. Totally. I, I feel like that's yeah. like a good example of that. Just like, you know, not everyone is a, has the time or energy or capability to like ride 50 hours a week or whatever, you know? Yep. So if like an old couple wants to go out or even the person that has a full-time job is working 70 hours a week and they need an e-bike so they can actually go and ride, like should be all good. Yeah. Yeah. This, I honestly, I feel it's to me, it's deja vu because being in the bike industry, when the whole thing went from away from 26, right? It was 26 to 29. It was kind of like before 27.5 was invented. 
there was it was like four years of banter of like oh it's right it's wrong it's stupid oh it's that oh like it was just like so much and now no one even talks about right it's like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. It's, yeah, we're, we're done, we're done 20, with this yeah, yeah right you if know, you're riding like, at 26 it would be like Ugh. yeah <laughs> so now it's like four years from now it's like the ship is gonna have sailed on e-bikes and like some people will use them some people won't like it's all fine like the world goes on it's really yeah i don't know we posted a photo of an e-bike and said on instagram and said uh do you want to see more e-bike content from us and there was like a hardcore amount of trolls yeah 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 Yeah. and i was like wow that seems it's very visceral like it's very much like very polarizing thing um but yeah i don't know i mean to me like you look at any like pro mountain biker and everyone loves (laughs) e-bikes even if you can't yeah they do like pro mountain bikers are using them all the time yeah because it's just like i love riding my bike and i can actually ride my bike more if i have motor yeah totally. <laughs> yeah totally yeah i was talking to so nico malali who you mentioned earlier um good friend of mine his his younger brother logan malali also a good friend of mine and worked for worldwide cyclery for several years um i was just chatting with him recently we obviously still stay in touch and still friends um and we were just chatting about the e-bike thing and he was saying that nico and dakota norton another professional world cup downhill racer who's very very good um are riding e-bikes a lot more and that they're still putting in like the same like physically like they're looking those guys totally. are data nerds right yeah. so like they're looking at heart rates and they have power meters and like they're doing training at a very very high level and they're still doing it to the same extent they're just covering more ground right exactly so, like yeah it's like it's not like they're just going up hills being like they're just going up the hills faster yeah they're just riding more miles um so like the heart rate data shows that it's exactly the same exercise but they've covered two times the amount of miles. So I don't totally. know it's it is interesting to see yeah. like all these different use cases for these things and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just like stuff. One of those totally. things where it's just like another tool like I don't yeah. know. Just don't feel like it should be that big of a deal. I know. <laughs> I, know. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, yeah, speaking of speaking of bikes, um let's finish off here with what are we riding? Bikes, trails, components, etc. Um I will go first. Why not? Uh, because I'm excited to talk about, I just went to Moab. I think on the last two podcasts I said I was going to Moab. I went there. It was a ton of fun. Um, I posted sort of a recap of it on Kettle Mountain's Instagram. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Kettle Mountain is an apparel brand that we as in Worldwide Cyclery owns. Um, yeah, and I had a great time. Have you been to Moab, Elliot? No, never. So it's like the rockiest rocks of rocks on rocks. It was <laughs> just pure rock. Rocks. I mean, I honestly didn't think the riding was, I mean, the riding was amazing if you like rocky rocks piled on rocks um, and just incredible scenery. I'm more of like a, I would rather ride A-line and dirt merchant, like flow type jump trails and berms. That's kind of more my thing, but I still had a good time. Liam went with me and, and had a good time and we went with Chasing Epic and there was 12 other people and yeah it was a super good fun amazing trip but i was pumped on that i rode my uno dash my italian stallion uh, uh italian spanish spanish stallion Ooh, almost Span- like you get away with that spanish one <laughs> it's a spanish it's one of the few bikes um that's made uh, only bike carbon bike made in europe i don't mm-hmm. know it's, it's uh wow. yeah it's pretty cool they make they make 50 of them a year i have number 24 of 50 per model I, yeah, per model, fifty per model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just sold Boutique. it. 
Very boutique. <laughs> I, just, I just sold that Uno, um, and now I'm building up a Revel Ranger, which to me is like it's 115 mil travel in the back, 120 in the front. Super fun, quote-unquote, downcountry bike. Um, I'm excited to ride I mean, I already rode it like our test bike when we had it before we did the review and everything. Super fun. So I'm excited for that. That's my new mountain bike. That's where I just rode. Uh, pumped on that. Jared, have you changed since the last episode? I've just been riding both my bikes. <laughs> Which are? Both my, my Yeti SB150 and SB115. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a little bit of suicide uh, action over here. You know, one of our my favorite local trails. Um, suicide is the name of the yes, trail. Yes, yes. Just to be clear, that the can be very confusing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> been riding suicide are one of our favorite local trails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just praying for the rain, man. It's mm. just so blown out and dusty. Yeah. I just, I need that rain. Yeah. So last episode, Nate Hills was on the podcast uh, and he was out here hanging out with us. We rode some bikes. We rode Suicide Trail. He posted the full video of that on his YouTube channel, which was rad. He had, have you ever used a Skydio? You know what that is? So it's a drone oh, with the camera on it. That. Yeah, yeah so like, and it follows yeah. you. Right? We're at the top of the trail, and he just throws this thing up, and then it just followed us down the whole that's trail. super and cool. And he didn't even touch it until we got to the very bottom. Yeah, yeah it was that's rad. crazy. Yeah, it, it was cool. So check that out. It's on Nate Hill's YouTube channel. Um, that was a really fun time, but suicide is the name of that yeah. trail. It's a big, rocky, beefy trail. That's what Jared rides his 150 yeah. on. Yeah. 150 mil <laughs> travel, 29er. Yeah. What's the front? 160? 170. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Dang. Sweet. It's a great bike. Yeah. It's, that is, that's a monster. It's good yeah. for that trail. Um, Perfect. Elliot, what, what bikes are you riding right now? Um, when I, I haven't really ridden that much. If I'm not riding my downhill bike, which I haven't since March, um, I ride my trance, which is like, I don't know how much travel it has. Like one, 140 or no, like it's that? like 120 in the front. You're and really not representing really? your sponsor that good right now. <laughs> I, I think it's I just like, call you out, but. No, I think I'm representing them great because it doesn't even matter how much travel is. It's oh, an insane like bike. You spun oh. that well. No, it's you like. You should get into politics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I literally ride that bike. I rode it for Trans Cascadia. Um, I rode it. That's all I ride. Um, for me, like the smaller travel bikes are super fun. I've never been like a big trail bike person, but uh, I think it makes it a little bit, a little bit sweet to have like the little bit of travel. And I ride, yeah, Max's tires, DHF in the front, DHR two in the back. The only combo you should ever think about. Speaking and, of tire combos, we just did a video all about like my favorite tire combos. I did say that one because that that is it's a good just, one. There's sure. just no reason. So you're running like, it on your trail bike. Do you also run it on your downhill bike? Totally. Yeah. Like, same sizes, the same widths. Yeah, two three five. Right. Like, there's no. I think it's two three five. Maybe it's two five. Two five. Yeah, you're probably running two five in the front and then two four in the back. Yeah. So that's. See this this ladies and gentlemen is how much <laughs> professional mountain bikers. <laughs> really pay attention to this stuff well it's like, like they get it for, yeah they honestly i think you just forget though because like you've had this yeah. figured out for a long time and like, like you, you don't even look at those numbers totally like i know like there was talk about like some people would sometimes go to like the two seven or whatever yeah in the front in the yeah. front but that was that has not been a thing for a while and so it's like yeah just it doesn't totally doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> but um yeah uh what I don't know my tire pressure. I usually just pump it up to around 30 or something like that. On my downhill bike, it was like 24, 27. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Shimano stuff. I rode in Santa Cruz this past week, was up there. Uh, one of my friends is doing this like 1 million miles of climbing. So she's like 
has a nine to five job and she just goes and that is so wow. <laughs> well, I mean, nice. in a year. So, um, rode with her and like caught her on the, like the hour five of her ride. So, uh, yeah, did that in Santa Cruz and wish that we had good trails like that down that here. That was on your giant trance. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 29 inch wheels. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nice. The only way. Weren't you riding a gravel bike too for a little bit? No gravel. I ride a lot of road. Um, road? really? Not recently. I'm super, I'm just super out get, of shape. Just to get in shape for that sax underwear. Yeah, photo shoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm actually crazy out of shape right now. But we, I think it's because we live in some like world class area for road biking. Yeah, um, that's true. And it's just nice, like go out there, listen to podcasts, listen to the MTB podcasts nice. by Worldwide Techler mm. and um, <laughs> and the Elliot Jackson episodes, super good. And um, so yeah, it's just a good time. Yeah, I like it. Well, cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget any feedback, comments, questions, concerns. Hit us up at podcast at worldwidecyclery.com. Please remember to rate and review where you get your podcast. They say that on the Wall Street Journal podcast. Jared's just <laughs> dying laughing at me right now. I, said that. Uh, I don't care if you review us. I don't even know what that does. But What if I left a nasty review? That. Well, then I'd be like, well, that was me. So you do care. We do care. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I honestly like have not got into the world of podcasts and how they rank and why ratings matter but if you feel compelled to rate us, go ahead uh anyways massive thank you to adam who helps put this whole thing on internally here at worldwide cycler and of course scott jackson also known as dj, DJ pineapple. pineapple he's just shaking his head laughing at right now dj pineapple run some sound effects and close this out Make it.